Welcome to Coming from Left Field, where we have conversations about politics, books, and current events with your host, Greg Gottles and Pat Cummings. According to the filmmaker Raoul Peck in his documentary, Exterminate All the Brutes, there are three words that summarize the whole history of humanity. One, civilization. Two, colonialization. Three, extermination. Do these three words contain the DNA of white supremacy? Is there little difference between civilized people and savages? Do we all have a heart of darkness? Let's discuss. Warm greetings, everybody. We got the band back together, uh, Greg and Pittsburgh, and uh, my friend Haas in central Illinois by Champaign. And uh, we are today talking about a, a book and a new HBO series called Exterminate the Brutes. So how's everybody doing? Okay? Doing well. Good. Good. And the homework assignment was to also watch the HBO four-part series, which was released ab about three weeks ago. And I see that you two didn't do your assignment, so we won't talk about much about the, the movie. <laughs> about the movie, but... Uh, the the um, in, in a sense, I think this podcast deals with multiple things. Uh, one is the new uh, emphasis that came from the 1992 book called uh, Exterminate All the Brutes by Sven Lindquist and a filmmaker, uh, Raoul Peck, did a four-part series on that book, using that book foundationally as the, the, the foundation of his series. And it was the history of colonialism and from you know Columbus and then exterminating Native American population and ending up with sort of the German um, Hitler Holocaust also. So, so let's not talk too much about that, but there's two other subplots, I think, in this book that are interesting. The expression, exterminate all the brutes, comes from the, uh, the, the Conrad a book, um, oh, what's it called? Oh, The Heart of Darkness, uh, where one of the lead characters in the, in the book, the, uh, Mr. Kurtz, uh, says we should just get rid of all of the brutes. In other words, all of the people in the Congo. If you remember the uh, story of the um, Heart of Darkness is the, the foundation of uh, Apocalypse Now. And it's uh, one of our more famous uh, uh, novels of the um, a person taking a, a trip in the Congo uh, and observing all of the atrocities of how uh, the natives and so forth were being destroyed and uh, with, with that, that adventure. But there's also another subpart of this book is the, um, the history of the Congo and King Leopold. Uh, and were you much aware of all of that uh, before, before you read this book, either of you two? Uh, the Leopold's reputation drifted over into some general history classes I had. I think he was uh, he was viewed as uh, as being a despot, uh, but the particulars, the grisly particulars, 
that were detailed in the book, uh, that was new to me. The oh. practice of uh, amputating hands is proof of efforts from his troops. That's, uh, uh, that's an extra spidey, spicy bit of nastiness that I was not aware of. Uh, me too. How about you, Greg? Are you, was that your- uh, Well, I, I knew Mark Twain's uh, King uh, Leopold's soliloquy, which I read uh, 20 years ago. So that certainly had the same flavor and told the same horrific uh, stories of, of, of what, what whites were doing in Africa uh, in Leopold's uh, Belgian, we call it the Belgian Congo later, but it was uh, Belgian Central Africa. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a horror story and, and people have struggled and reached to tell it because it's so horrific. And I, I you know, frankly, it wasn't really much on my radar. Uh, you sent me that uh, soliloquy by Mark Twain, which was the, uh, where King Leopold was trying to justify his atrocities, but it, it it's, uh, he, he took over the Belgium Congo at the time that rubber was becoming really important. It was sort of the new gold, if you will. And he appointed himself as the king of this Congo. And whereas the book that we're talking about today, Exterminate the Brutes, looks at colonialism from countries, here this was a guy who was a single play, a single player you know, a single person who enslaved this enormous number of people and the brutality, I, you know, up to 15 million people killed and it was tacitly accepted and tolerated uh, because the, a lot of rubber was coming out of that Congo and it was a pretty efficient way of uh, extracting the wealth and at the same time uh, destroying the, um, the culture, and that ties into Conrad, and that ties into this book, Exterminate the Brutes. So uh, did, I, did I get that right, kind of? What do you think? It sounds about right. Yeah. Lay out one question. According to uh, the, the author, he believes that, the, that at the heart of European colonialism, which gave us these wonderful things of, of uh, art and history and music and philosophy and culture. But at the heart of that was this kind of neo-Darwinian belief system that, that you had the, not only the right, but the duty to purge humanity from these lesser lesser people, which in this case would in Africa would be all of the, the blacks or in Australia, it'd be the Tasmanians or in America, it'd be the Native Americans. You can just go on and on and on. And that there was something unique within that um, culture, the European civilization that had with it this dark side, a heart of darkness, maybe, that um, was in a way uniquely European as it was associated with the colonialist um, policies and expansion. Uh, what, uh, what do you think? Did, did, I, did I capture that? Do you think that's kind of 
correct there? Well, I think that is kind of a, a, a question of the book. Um, uh, and I think that's that's a question that's worth talking about because it has uh, uh, implications now and it has implications in the future. It has implications for us as citizens of a diverse country and uh, us as uh, members of a family that might be looking down the road at the generations that follow us. Uh, if you decide that there's something uniquely evil about um, Europeans, then what license do other ha other people have to uh, take action against people of European heritage? Uh, if you if you decide that behaviors are driven by identity, what floodgates does that open to all kinds of destructive reasoning? And uh, I don't necessarily subscribe to that. I think if you look through Chinese history, if you look through African history, uh, you see evidence of uh, extreme brutality. I tend to look at what the Europeans did as uh, expressing some fundamental flaws that exist in humanity that uh, create a proclivity for men who have significant advantages in power and resources to take advantage of their fellow man. And if taking advantage of your fellow man is easier to do, if you create a rationale that either supports your own superiority or somehow positions the other's inferiority or undesirability or can position them as a threat, then that makes your domination all that much easier to sell to those you need to recruit. Um, so I, I think it's a really nasty part of the human condition, but I think uh, what the Europeans did in uh, so many parts of the world is as much an expression of the mismatch that they had in technology uh, as, as anything. I mean, the, uh, Genghis Khan managed to slaughter, uh, what, uh, 20 million, some people say 60 million, uh, as he marched west across uh, Eurasia into the borders of Europe. Uh, Shaka Zulu was uh, known to have uh, exterminated, his, exterminated his neighboring tribes. Uh, you know, Japan, and when it uh, invaded Korea in the uh, late 1500s, uh, they were commanded to remove the noses and ears of the uh, inferior Koreans, the uh, the ruler at that time, I think they carried the title Dianmo, uh, wanted to build a mountain of those body parts back in Tokyo. So it it, it seems like we're we really are a twisted species. Uh, but you know that's uh, and I say that not just because it's a reading of uh, what I see in history as as a non-historian, but I would not want my children to be judged based on King Leopold's behavior or, uh, you know, um, the behavior of those that settled the West and the West. Uh, you know, I wouldn't want them to be held responsible for what was done by others five, six, seven, eight generations before. What say you, Greg? No, I, I agree with uh, Haas. I mean, uh, racialism, if you want to call it, distinguish it from 
what we talk about today is racism, the racialism, seeing differences, uh, whether they're racial differences or whether religious differences or whether they're uh, size differences, uh, you can go on and on and on. Human, the human species is filled with differences and people will, will draw conclusions when they observe people that are quote unquote different. And that becomes a justification for other things. And I think Haas is right on the money. It's about taking advantage. That's what this whole European experience was about. It's about exploitation. And I think it's, it's kind of puts things backwards when we start with Spencer and, and Darwin and other theoretical uh, expressions at that era and say, well, that might've caused it. They were handy. They were devices that could then justify a kinds of uh, brutality that was, was useful to colonialism. After all, colonialism was, was part and parcel of a system of expansion, mercantilism at that particular time of exploring and finding riches. I mean, the Spanish engagement in the new world was all about silver. And uh, they exploited the indigenous people to dig the silver until they killed most of them off. Then they got into the slave business. I mean, it didn't matter who did the work for them, who they exploited so much as the fact that they could exploit someone and make lots of money and racialism enabled them to do that in a way. So the brutality that accompanied it was generally driven by for economic purposes. And uh, you mentioned, you started this off with Weber and its importance at that particular time. I don't think we can lose sight of the importance of rubber, the importance of um, uh, resources that drove colonialism in that era, whether it be silver, whether it be gold, whether it be rubber, uh, whatever. And in, 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 and in other areas, India and other places, it was cotton. Cotton was extremely important later for industrialization in England. And then that became important for the South in industrialization for England. Uh, to industrialize the cheap cotton. So uh, wherever you found an opportunity to, to, to exploit resources, you found an opportunity to exploit people and you found an opportunity to justify that exploitation with racialist theories or other theories. Even women's uh, inferiority in those areas uh, had an economic base uh, behind it as well. So. Yeah, I, I think it's a, it was a fun book to read, an interesting book to read, a film of lots of anecdotal things, uh, connections made here and there, but it's a little uh, slipshod in the sense that it didn't all tie together in any real way, because underneath it all was this exploitation, which he doesn't really go into, these exploited social relations, which in fact uh, were, uh, uh, were justified through racialism and brutality and, and so forth. Oh, okay, I'm going to try to tie both your comments together. I don't know if they're going to be successful, but um, I, I was telling Haas that um, a book that I just finished is Malcolm Gladwell's new book on um, the, his, the bombing mafia, the history of bombing Curtis LeMay. And he looked at, if you're looking at civilian deaths in the 20th century, okay, the number one was Mao. <laughs> Mao Mao's the winner, according to according to my little chart of those those dictators with the greatest mouths here is, is mouths there uh and then we have joseph stalin 23 million uh, of course we get to hitler depends on how you look at it there's the you know you could just look at the jews or the whole you know, all of the uh, atrocities that he was contributed to it uh 
so we have that. Then we have Pol Pot. And then we have Curtis LeMay in his in his bombing and napalm and all 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 of that. So I think what Haas, what I'm hearing you say, and and by the way, on the list here ahead of uh, just below Hitler and uh, above uh, Pol Pot is King Leopold of Belgium, which is 15 million, which is part of the foundation of this book. Well, so, what's, what's the source of that? I mean, where, where did you get that chart? I got it from two sources. One, uh, I got the source from a, a clip there or from the, the new book that was done by M Malcolm Gladwell that listed the, uh, the um, um, who killed, I guess is how you define who, you know, civilian deaths or this, this one is actually by dictators. Um, so, I, uh, and, and then from and then from the web place from uh, Quora, Q U O R A had that's where this chart is. So there, there's no doubt that resting within the heart of man is an ugliness, and is a um, propensity to be horrible and to um, treat other hu human beings poorly. And if we want to go back from the 20th century, like you said, we could go to the, the Huns and the, all of these other, other groups that had similar brutality. So I, I, I get that. And I think Haas in an email that you sent me earlier, I think you, you really said it well when you said, um, you know, is vicious behavior part of our evolution? Uh, and uh, was the dominant male did the breeding? Was Christian? was the Christian concept original sin a way to identify an inch and eventually control our urges? So I think you're right on the money. There, there's something that rests within us. You could look at it from psychology, from religion, from philosophy, that we have this propensity to be horrible. That's good. That's correct. However, as, 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 the, as this author looked at this information, he looked at the atrocities of Hitler and the concentration camps, and then also Conrad's, the atrocity of King Leopold and, and the Congo. And he thinks that there is something unique within colonialism. And I think you said it well, uh, um, Greg, when you called it racialism. Uh, I would say it was at the time where colonialism was really ramping up and doing its thing. Uh, there, there was also this Darwinian notion that certain groups of people were lesser and that not only did you have the right to purge them from the world, it was almost your Christian duty. You, you, they, they deserve to be exterminated as, as, as brutes. So if, in, in, in his book here, he's quoting the anthropologist Pritchard on page 123. It was obvious that the savage races could not be saved. So there's this kind of cocktail that rests within Euro European colonialism that certainly uh, was um, tied to the exploitation and wealth and you know, expansion. But it seemed like it was a, a unique little 
I don't know what you'd say, additive to the cruelty that, and I don't know if I'm correct, is, is it uniquely part of this colonialism and the expansion that we so remarkably just treated people with um, as being the lesser than and they deserve to die? I don't know, what, what am, I, am I off? I think you're barking up many wrong trees, many, many wrong trees. Okay. I don't, uh, I, I'm not sure where you're going. You're psychologizing uh, um, brutality and inhumanity. Yeah, inhumanity has been there. And you could also track, I mean, your chart, I think is really goofy because there's nothing productive that comes of comparing uh, Holocaust and, 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 slaughters and so on and so on because the numbers are always round figures and they're always manufactured for some other purpose in many of the cases that you cite for the Cold War. But nonetheless, there is there is in, in humanity. It marches alongside with technological ability. The fact that Curtis LeMay did what he did uh, had something to do with the te technological abilities that we had to, to impose that kind of death upon people at that particular juncture and very, very, uh, um, uh, impersonal. It wasn't sticking a bayonet in somebody. It was from 20,000 feet in the air. But it wasn't just us. Really, the, the ability to do things technologically grew. I mean, the brutality in the wars in Europe in the 15th and 16th century were only limited by their technological ability. They'd have killed everybody if they could have, but their blender buses and their spears, and they couldn't inflict that kind of damage. So I don't think there's any kind of special psychological propensity that people have to be brutal any more than I think there's any psychological propensity to be nice. I think they have to do with cultural moments, historical moments, and, and circumstances that people find them in. I reminded, I was talking to my friend who's a Vietnam War vet, he was a Marine, um, and we're talking about uh, uh, free fire zones. And he was 19 years old, he's in the Marines, and he says, hey, I, 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 I'm, I'm here, I'm in Vietnam. These are strange people to me. I don't know who the hell they are. They're, they're all trying to kill me as far as I'm concerned. I'm all for free fire zones. I can understand that. You throw a 19-year-old into that situation, and you don't know who these people are, and they look different, and some of them look just like the one down the street that was smiling at you, was trying to kill you. You develop an attitude like do you, do you look at a propensity in his mind, a psychological state, a brutality? No, no. You look to the leaderships that put people in those situations. You look to the circumstances, the, the history that led to that particular moment. There's where you find blame. There's where you find, uh, and, and it's, it's rational. It's not irrational. It's not unplumbable. We can't understand it. It's totally rational. And what rationalizes it is the economic gains that can be made. That's why people found themselves in that situation. Put yourself in the shoes of an, an educated Belgian soldier who's in the Congo and told the march from here to there. He sees all these black faces. They, they don't make any sense to him. He's afraid. Fear drove much of that for, for people, as it did with the indigenous people in this country and our slaughter of those. It can't be that simple as, as a psychological uh, propensity to brutality. The same Spanish people who marched through Latin America slaughtering people. 
we're bringing priests along who are trying to convert them to Catholicism. So there was a much more complex uh, phenomena going on here than just that brutality. I think simplifying it really is, we're getting nowhere with that. Well, once again, you're wrong, Greg, but we'll... <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time. By the way, one minute. I got it. My, my, son, my grandson's shirt. He's a little bit of fashion, fashionista. He's making these shirts, so What's it say? I'd stand up and show the world. <laughs> Three or four people watching this. We'll, we'll, we'll put a link in where people can buy the shirt. So I don't know. I it's it's a better story. It's it's a better story if you think that there is certain belief systems that were you know from a from a point of view of psychology of uh, cognitive behavioral psychology. One's beliefs influence your actions. You know what uh, what 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 influences your beliefs? I mean, if you stop there, you got a nice little box. Very simplistic plots, uh, but if you okay. don't go to the question of what influences the belief system and what influences I, those conditions, aren't we short? Aren't we shorting the world uh, knowledge here? Aren't we giving a kind of a? I will. Well, I will. I will respond to that by a bumper sticker I saw two days ago. Okay. I'm out walking and I saw a bumper sticker on the back of a car and it says, "Science makes people. Science helps people fly to the moon." Religion helps people fly into buildings. Okay, so if you there, the, you can have certain belief systems that, in this case, you know, Allah and virgins and you know, martyrdom and so forth, that will alter your behavior remarkably. And these people seriously believed, like you said, with the the racialism, they seriously believed there was something uniquely wrong with the, the other, the savage, the, you know. My, I, I was talking to my 90-year-old uncle the other day about his father, my grandfather, who was, um, oh gosh, born in 18, w way back when, 1885, I mean, he's, um, and I was asking him about his beliefs and, and, and he said he was, he was a horrible racist, grew up in Oklahoma, and he truly believed that black people did not have souls like white people did. And so he was always extremely nice to all of the blacks around him and was known as their good friends because he felt sorry for them because they weren't gonna be able to go to heaven. And that was his belief system that drove how he interacted with them, how he dealt with them, now you look at that now and you realize how bizarre and crazy that is. This is my, this is my grandfather, you know. So colonialism had in it this belief of this Darwinian, neo-Darwinian hierarchy of human beings and their worth. And it was, it, it was supercharged in how they responded to the rest of the world, which then lubricated this colonial atrocities is that is that me is that do you, everybody agree with me now or do, you, do i have to go back and make another how do, you explain, how do you explain all the violence all the the massacres and slaughters the huguenots all these 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 folks in europe against each other which shared a racial uh, perspective 
they killed each other and they killed each other for a thousand years and they tried to wipe each other out and and they did it around religion they did it around um, crazy ideologies but all these ideologies were rooted in material conditions they were all they all had causes I mean, if we're scientific about it, we can't just say they pop into people's minds. So it's a very a plastic kind of notion, this uh, belief system, because it doesn't just lead to racialism, but it also leads to brutality in other areas and other, other, other uh, uh, parts of history. Same peoples slaughter each other. Italians killed each other in Italy before the, the Italy was united. You can go to every, virtually every country. Uh, Germany wasn't united for, for a long time, and the Prussians oppressed other people and killed them within Germany. It's back to Rome, back to the examples in China that uh, Haas did. I think Haas makes a very important point when he talks about, um, you know, the all the good that happens around the world uh, can't be explained by some disposition. It happens. There are conditions that create it. All the bad and ugly that, that arise around the world have preconditions that, that, that uh, create it. But the colonial, this colonial mentality was a mentality shaped and constructed for economic purposes. Justification came after the decision to go and get the rubber. That's when you had to kill people. Because, and if you read carefully, you see the explanation is always we cut their hands off because they weren't working hard enough. It wasn't because they had an urge to cut hands off. We cut their heads off and we displayed their heads because we wanted to send a message that you have to work on. So I see an economic mission here in every case. The ideology has created to justify the economic gains that people, the exploitation advantages that people want to want to want to make. The uh other issue that I have is with the application of uh, colonization, that term colonization, to only Europeans. When uh, the Mongols marched west to take control of trade routes and uh, run the Silk Road, which I'm sure they viewed as being to their economic benefit, that was colonization. They were displacing people. The, the Chinese displaced, uh, well, they took care of about 80% of the uh, Dzungar tribe. Uh, and this goes back, I think, to the late 1700s or so. Uh, that, was, that was economic. I don't talk, we don't use the term uh, colonization, despite the fact that the Chinese moved Han Chinese, ethnic Han Chinese, into those territories. But we don't say that's colonization. Uh, we don't talk about um, you know, the, the, the uh, Mongol movement west as, as being colonization, despite the fact that for well, what almost a century they, they did. Uh, and so I don't like the fact that people say colonization and that it was newly minted by Europeans. It was it was put on steroids by Europeans, for sure, and their technologies, and not just the technologies and weaponry, but they they're, had their germs. Well, they're, they're germs, but I mean, they had the motivation because 
with the evolution of an industrial base and the, the people that could produce and design machinery, then there was this great new application for these riches that existed elsewhere. So there was not only tools for dominating other places and other races, there was a real benefit. So you, you, know, you could gain profit. Uh, I've heard some people say that the reason uh, uh, Genghis Khan stopped when he got pretty much to Eastern Europe wasn't because he was so effectively fought off by Lithuanians and the Rus and, and the people that were living in Europe. It's because Europe didn't offer much for him at that time. There wasn't really a, a benefit. It wasn't, it wasn't ground suitable for his rapid movement uh, on horseback, and uh, there was no great welfare. There, there wasn't a great civilization to attack, whereas going down into Asia Minor, uh, you had robust cities and you had real wealth you could attach. Uh, so I, I think it's, it's colonization happened before the West, uh, Western Europeans got into it and it just went on steroids. So then uh, Robin D'Angelo is wrong with her white uh, fragility, that there's something unique that rests within white culture that is completely separate from and that it's just there. That just, it bubbles up, it changes, it gets exploited, but there's nothing unique within the European colonial mindset and features that... Uh, uh, so it's just it's, it's just a bug. It's not a feature, right? It's not. No, I mean to call it a bug, it trivializes it. I think that you have powerful forces that came together at a certain time uh, and manifested themselves with uh, that slice of humanity, gave them tremendous advantages, and their greed took the ball and it ran. But to say that somehow there is some specific flaw in Europeans that somehow is, is genetically linked and, and is a feature of them and them alone is, my, to me, that's bigotry. It, you know, you're, you're kind of baiting me on that Robin thing. Because well, you, well, by the way, your recent blog i just read it and just i i just loved it i read it twice it, it just nailed it and um i don't know if you know that um haas but um greg does a really nice blog and he's taken on robin d'angelo a couple of times and most recently she's doing her her second tour of the same subject i, I even what's the name of the book uh, something uh, nice nice racism nice racism Nice racism. Nice racism, and it's it's bombing in uh, bookstores, which is good news. It's not really going anywhere, but oh, it is. You know, it, it's but it's that's a good example, though. I you know it's a good example to bring up now because it is based upon the kind of thinking that that, that Haas has rejected, and 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 it should be rejected because it's again it's a psychological psychologizing of of a phenomenon. It's saying it's in embedded in their head somehow. It's in the white. Being white is, is creates this. Yeah, you know, look, our, our concept of racism for our country flows out of slavery, and it had a a clear economic motive. 
I mean, it couldn't be clearer. Slavery was there to pick cotton and cotton was king. I mean, there's a book called The Empire of Cotton, which demonstrates how in that part of the 19th century, cotton was the economic object. It was the basis for all of English industrialization at that particular juncture. That's why you made steel to make mills and machinery so you could uh, finish cotton. So you have this phenomenon, we know what its roots are. There's no mystery here. She's off talking about some elusive thing that's stuck in people's heads and they can't get rid of it. And you've got to take my seminars and we'll get it out and pay me lots of money. It's very lucrative for her to do this. But you talk about ideas giving birth to insanity. That's ideas giving birth to insanity. This, this imaginary notion of what racism is when, as I point out in the article, since the pandemic, the average black male lives uh, 3.5 years less than their white than, than their white counterpart. They live the average black male lives to be 68 years old, barely long enough to collect a little bit of Social Security and, and, and Medicare. And the average black male makes 56 cents for every dollar his white male counterpart does. Whatever the reasons are. Certainly racism plays some role in that. And that seems a lot more important than having dinner with a black couple and misstating your intentions and being embarrassed by what you said. You can live with that. We as a society can't live with uh, a part of our society make, making 56 cents out of every dollar of another sector of our society. And if, they, if you want to give it a name, that's racism. And anti-racism has to be built around that and not changing the attitudes of your coworker in your corporate setting. But I've let you take me far afield too. So should we get back to colonialism? Because I think Ross made some good points. Well, let me just- Pat, you, So Pat, you, your view is that uh, colonialism is a unique feature of European society and it's a new creation that started there? No, no, I agree with you. You know, look, I mean, the, 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 the word itself, uh, C-O-L-O-N-I, is, is a Latin word that originates in, in the Roman Empire. What was the Roman Empire? Any fundamentalist Christian has to know that where Jesus was born was a colony of Rome. So, I mean, colonies uh, are part of everybody's, everybody's cultural outlook in America knows what a colony is. And it certainly doesn't begin with European civilization you know, in your, you know, in, in, in uh, the 1500s and 1600s. So no colonies will, will go way, way back. It, it, this is almost a distraction to talk about colonialism in this fashion from what the real economic roots of that phenomenon are and why they occur again and again in China, they occur in Rome, they occurred in Greece. We have colonies all the time. We have colonies today, Puerto Rico is a colony in the United States. Uh, Greg, I didn't mean to direct that comment to you. I meant to direct it to Pat. I think right. you. <laughs> I think you and I are on the same page. About okay, I'm going to take. I'm going to take a different spin on this. I'm going to take a different spin on this, and it, it, let's let's look at this from sociology point of view. That there, uh, they have what they call the fundamental attribution error in sociology, and that is where people people often look at situations they'll often look at something 
and they will attribute the behavior to something that rests within that that person, rests within their personality. So they will they'll see somebody that is um, uh, homeless, and they'll say, you know, they should have studied harder in school. They don't have discipline. Why can't they just get up and get a job? What you know, th there's something that rests within that person that is problematic, as opposed to the circumstance. The circumstance could be that they have schizophrenia or that their parents drank too much and they're a fetal alcohol or they had a horrible life event and they have psychiatric issues they can't overcome. So I'm not saying that there's something that rests within white Europe. That's what D'Angelo says with her, all of her anti-racism crap, that there, there's something that rests within whiteness that makes you uniquely capable of racism and exploitation that is not there where you don't have that. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I don't believe that there is, that the, that the soul of man is different based on their melanoma or their geography. But what I am saying is that when you have a set of beliefs, they can kind of come together remarkably so and, all, and create behavior. A Jamist will not step on a spider when they're, because, they, they, because of their belief systems. So there was something within Europeans' belief system, and at the root of it, it was, was racist, at the root of it was just like my grandfather, truly a belief that this person was lesser and deserved, you know, problems or whatever. And that I think, and, and of course the exploitation was, you know, cotton's king and all that kind of thing. But the uniqueness of the brutality came from belief systems about this kind of hierarchical nature of man of which they're on top and these people are on the bottom that i i you know the the it was a free fire zone when we went west all the native americans i mean you know most of them were killed with disease but they were not human beings they literally were not human beings they were just no different than animals scoundering in the you know we didn't see them as that can and that is a core of the belief system of colonialism that I think supercharged the brutality. Is that, is that any different than a, uh, a belief system that, hier that creates a hierarchy around class? Is, I mean, they're both. Well, kinds of you know, you could, uh, you know, you could look at India, and they have their, you know, you know, their belief systems respond differently. Uh, because of their belief systems. How about, maybe how, about America? How, about, huh? how about today's America? How about today in America on the West Coast, let's say, do you think Nancy Pelosi uh, uh, doesn't look down her nose at homeless people that are, show up in her neighborhood? I, you're making my point. You know, I mean, I have prejudice against people in the there's, South there's, and, you know, Trump supporters so that I think aren't really thinking through things. And I have to stop and say, why am I believing? I mean, do I really think these people are lesser? And obviously they're not, you know, there are circumstances that created their behavior 
that are very reasonable. That goes back to the fundamental attribution error. So I think we're all prone to viewing the other and, and denigrating people that have different belief systems. And we're all prone to that sort of that dark prejudice. But they had it, they had it supercharged, I guess, is, I mean, you know, European colonials had it supercharged, but maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Oh, I, you know, they had a clear benefit to feeling that way. And uh, again, it's not, it, it's not exclusive to Europeans. Uh, what happened to all of the tribes that neighbored with the Comanche when the Comanche mastered the use of the horse? They were destroyed. They were right. driven off the central plains. Um, were, the, were they uh, reading Bibles to, uh, to drive their decision to slaughter their neighbors? And they did horrific things to people. I mean, they, they were proponents of torture. And uh, uh, what's yeah. their, so what, what uh, philosophy drove them to do that? Yeah, 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 that's yeah, a good point. Know, I'm going my Marxist acts now because Marx argued that in, in the history of class societies, uh, there's always been an economic motive to enslave or to force labor or extract labor from, from other people. It was a way of growing, as a way of gaining advantage. Uh, forget the word exploitation, it staggers people, but to gain an advantage. Not, not necessarily against other people, but against nature in many cases. If you enslave people to do your work, you get a lot more productivity and you prepare yourself better to fight nature, to build you know, a shelter, to do the agricultural work, to slaughter the, the animals for you at unpaid labor, uh, but it gives you more survival. So the history of class society of Marx argues is filled with this kind of uh, taking advantage of and invariably, it has to be based upon a picture of the other that enables you to do that without thinking you're doing the same thing to someone in your family. Right. So if you go back to hunting and gathering societies, when people break away from that, they're doing it generally at the expense of someone else. And they're able to distinguish between just their family and the family next door. They're different than we are. And you take advantage of them. It's okay to enslave them. Uh, slavery has a long, long history before uh, more modern chattel slavery from the 1860s. A long, long history. It's a whole period of slavery. Greek society was based on slavery, as was Roman society. So these things become instruments in economic development. If you call it progress, you're going to say it's on the backs of other people. And often to, to, to have that occur, to enable that, you've got to create a uh, disabling of, of the other, making them less than a human being, and often brutalizing them or killing them Good. to motivate. Speaking of economics, let's change the subject just quickly and, and wrap things up here. Like three months ago, we did a podcast on Amazon. <laughs> and uh, we had Haas on, obviously, because he had worked so much in the book industry and publishing industry and uh, inextricably connected to multiple unions through his parents and 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 family members working <laughs> working in uh, warehouse situations similar, and we were uh, 
I think naively, or at least I was naively optimistic that the Bessemer vote would, uh, you know, break up Bezos and he would, you know, and everything would, would turn out just wonderful. And boy, were we wrong, or I was wrong. I think, I don't know what your thoughts were. I mean, post-mortem, there are, there were some things I think we didn't know that we should have known. Uh, for one, it, and that comes from these books. Um, I think we've I think we've all read Fulfillment, uh, but the other most recent book by Amazon Unbound by Brad Stone, he did the Everything Store. Uh, that first book is the churn of employees that's constantly going through these warehouses. They don't have structured, stable employments by the nature of their business plan. They want to get people in, get the work out of them, and then kick them down the road and bring someone else in. And I, I don't think I knew that at the time. Did, did you have in, any of you have insight to that? I mean, we see that now. We learn about that now. Um, not, not prior to the last six months, no. Not, not, not until recently. I knew they were very tough on their employees. I mean, that, uh, what there was, a, and I think we talked about this too when we spoke about the Bessemer vote was that, you know, for a while, Amazon took to uh, uh, parking uh, ambulances near some of their warehouses because they didn't want to pay the cost of air conditioning. It's uh, cheaper to do that, yeah. People would collapse on the job. So, you know, I was aware of their brutality, but the systematic uh, grinding of people down to a nub and then, then after three years finding a way to remove them, uh, that was new. Yeah, that was, that was new. And it made you realize that if they delayed the vote, the number of people that were there, that were the new hires, like a third of them, where uh -huh. didn't really have the history because that was by the nature of how they do those, those um, that hiring. I think Greg, you sent an article to me the, a couple of uh, a week ago, maybe the Bloomberg article about the uh, the um, how they're now using these algorithms and firing people through apps and. Yeah. Uh, the, the idea that they know there will be a certain group of people that will be harmed by that, but ultimately that process is to their benefit and it's all done through their contractors. Did I get that right? The 53 year old man that was fired because he didn't make his delivery fast enough because the gates to the apartment were locked and he couldn't get in and, you know, that's it. It's the nice. app says you're done. You know, I've used, I mean, I used to ran right about UPS because, uh, they had a similar uh, feudal system, really, where you'd load a truck, they load a truck up, and you had to be done at a certain time to make another pickup and do the rest of those pickups. I mean, it was all time. I used to see uh, on a loading dock, as I worked at a place where there was a loading dock, and two UPS guys would show up. One would be standing there with his arms crossed, and the other would be doing all the heavy lifting, carrying it up two flights of stairs, knocking on doors, delivering it. And I'd, I'd say, why aren't you helping him? You know, I couldn't understand. He was just, well, he says, I'm supposed to time him. I'm supposed to, you know, observe him and we're going to figure out how to make it faster. And, I mean, it's insanity. Walmart is insanity. I mean, at the heart of this is monopoly. I think Biden, I give Biden credit. I mean, uh, I don't give him a lot of credit, but I'll give him credit on this, this competition uh, uh, initiative he's taking. 
is going to go nowhere with it. It's a pre, it's a presidential decree, executive order. But at least the spirit of it is that, look, we've got monopolies, huge monopolies in this country. And they're creating uncompetitive situations. They're creating situations where they're keeping pay down, keeping initiative down. Uh, and we've got to change that. Now, what his plan is, who knows? But I mean, you're on to something, Pat, and with Amazon, but it's not just Amazon. It was Walmart before that. It was AT&T before that. You can go through it. It was the big three and auto until European auto companies came in and Japanese companies came in. These were monopolies. They control pricing. They control wages, costs, et cetera. And they give you, eventually they give you a product that's uniform. You know, oh no, we're giving you all these choices. Well, the choices go away when they command the market. I think they have 70% now, Amazon, of the uh, total internet retail sales market. Right. Well, who, who, what company just gave everybody a cell phone? Was that Target or Walmart or are you familiar with that? No, labor, the labor shortage. No, they gave everybody, I think it's either Walmart or Target gave everybody a cell phone, every employee. Here is a free smartphone. Well, they did it because it had apps on it that tracks their movement, where they are, <laughs> how long their, their location, their the cell phone is essentially a mechanism that can individualize how how many steps, how many calories, how you know. There I, you I worked a job. I worked a job for ten years back in the, the good old days, and I figured uh, I wouldn't do one set the world on fire. I want to get my job done, and then I wanted to make up as much free time as I could for myself. In those days. I had to report in once in a while. You had to make a phone call once a day to the office, the New York office and stuff like that. Now, some guys were running around trying to make more money and become heroes. I just want to get my job done and have more free time. Well, that all changed when they started giving us beepers and they started you know, giving us uh, other tracking devices and so on. And I, you had to be doing something all the time, even if it wasn't productive. And a worker finds a way around much of that, but Nonetheless, it just—it's just like the walls coming in on people more and more. Uh, something else that I think is is a trend, uh, and it, it speaks to the evolution of technology and the concentration of uh, assets and power in fewer people of, of transcendent uh, ability, and that's the idea that. Uh, systems and technology trump everything and that there is no longer a value in uh, what we used to call institutional memory. Right, right. 30 years ago or 40 years ago, if you were uh, in our business, if you were in the publishing business, uh, you needed to have people that knew things and uh, it was great to have data, but you need to know, needed to know how your systems interact you needed to know things about specific customers that were what you might call soft science things. And uh, it was not data-driven. Some of it was relationship-driven and some of it was built around an individual's ability to adapt to things that went wrong or things that didn't happen the way they were supposed to in one way or another. And somebody that understood multiple parts of a system of an operating company had that institutional memory that made them more valuable. And as uh, things get more computerized and more data-driven, and if, if and it's more machinery-operated, 
then Bezos's view of his employees makes sense because he probably figures out there's half of 1% of his employees that have uh, uh, some form of institutional memory or skill that he actually needs on a long-term basis and everyone else is disposable. Right, and that was clear in his, some of his quotes of how he, he viewed, well, how he viewed his employees uh, with just disdain, you know, and that they, and that I only want them for a couple of years and then they have no, you know, the new ones are have more beneficial than the older ones. So. We, we have this luxury of doing this podcast and, and doing a lot of things uh, older people do, retired people do. If I had to work in this environment, if I were 25 years old, I, I can't imagine myself doing it. I, I can't imagine myself doing what I hear that people do. My grandson works at Amazon warehouse and and i i just and i tell people that leave college with ninety thousand a hundred thousand dollars worth of debt I, I i couldn't deal with the stress i i have trouble dealing with a ten dollar debt you know i mean in terms of stress but i i i just don't know how young people do it i mean why they're not all revolutionaries because yeah it's just beyond me uh, uh and I frankly don't have hope that it's going to get better. I mean, these these companies are so big. They're so effective with their lobbying. They're so, you know, all the big tech. I just don't see the politicians of having the strength to respond to those bigger purses. So anyway, so. well, we, we, we kind of screwed that up, didn't we? politicians, Pat. Huh? You don't think we have any heroic politicians out there waiting uh, to take on big tech and and fight for the people. We don't have anybody like that, huh? Well, not not many. I mean, Biden. You, what, what did Biden do? I'm I'm going to give minimum wage. Walked away from that. Give everybody two thousand dollars. Walked away from that. You know, he's he he's he's walked away from a lot of his progressive progressive watered down the infrastructure. I don't know. Thank you all, folks. This has been fun really good time. I appreciate it. And uh, it was uh, fun to read the book, knowing that I was reading the book, I'd eventually have a conversation with good friends and try to work through things. And that's, I think, what we've done. So appreciate it. Yeah, well, thank you. Thank you, Pat. Thanks for doing this. Okay. Always my gray matter a little bit. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs>